It is the final year of the four-team college football playoff. Will we miss it? Not really. We'll get into that today on this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. We'll also touch on uh, Ole Miss getting yet another quarterback to its 2023 depth chart with the uh, flip of former Florida commitment Austin Simmons. He's going to reclassify and be on Ole Miss's 2023 roster and and join uh, a loaded quarterback room at Ole Miss. What it means for Lane Kiffin's Rebels and what it means for Billy Napier and the Gators, we will discuss. But John, let's start with our farewell to the four-team playoff. It is the the lame duck season for the four-teamer. The 12-teamer will be here in 2024. Will you miss much? about the four-team playoff? Well, uh, I will look back on the four-team playoff as sort of a bridge to to a better world. Um, it, it was an improvement over what we had. It's been, it's all been so incremental and also slow because I can remember one of the, probably one of the first columns I ever wrote many, many decades ago was probably say, hey, hey there should be a college football playoff. And, <laughs> it it only took about my career, which has uh, gone on way too long, some would probably say. Uh, but finally, we had a, a four-teamer, and um, of course, that created some disappointment for many, frustration for others. And the 12-team playoff probably will do the same, because always the team that gets left out is going to say, why not us? Uh, however... Uh, this gives an opportunity for a lot of teams to make the playoff, and it raises hope, and it raises expectations. John, this week I was in Starkville, Mississippi, uh, meeting with uh, new Mississippi State coach Zach Arnett, was formerly uh, the defensive coordinator, and was promoted to head coach after the passing of Mike Leach in December. And when I was talking with with Arnett, the topic of the 12-team playoff came up, and sort of what that means, if anything, for Mississippi State. And Arnett said, kind of matter matter of factly, that it means Mississippi State can make the playoff. Now, at first, you might think, well, that's crazy talk. That's that's coach speak. Um, that's a that's a first year coach. Um, you know, seeing things with um, you know optimistic glasses. If you look back on it, John, Mississippi State, they would have made the 12-team college football playoff, had it been in place in 2014. That was the first year of the four-team playoff. Mississippi State had Dak Prescott that year. They were ranked number one in the, the first-ever college football playoff rankings, and they finished the regular season 10-2. and two. They would have been in the playoff field. And in fact, during the nine-year four-team playoff, this will be year 10, the final year is year 10 of the four-team playoff, during those the, the, the past nine years, though, every SEC team would have made the 12-team playoff at least once had it been in place during that nine-year span, except for five. Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, and Arkansas. Those five, four from the east, one from the west, would not have ever made the 12-team playoff had it been in place during the previous nine years. However... If you go back to the final year of the BCS, 2013, if you were to add that in, Missouri and South Carolina 
would have made a 12-team playoff in that year. So in the past 10 years, adding in South Carolina and Missouri in 2013, there would have been just three SEC teams not make a 12-team playoff. That'd be Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Arkansas. So once it arrives in 2024, how much do you think your average SEC fan base can reasonably expect their team to start making the playoffs? I think most, almost all of them will. Um, Vanderbilt won't, of course. But other than that, uh, what you just pointed out, uh, you know, I think every fan at those schools will look at that and say, well, we could have made the playoff in such and such year. I don't think it will be as as easy or as possible as some fans believe. I think Mississippi State, will that will be a challenge. I think it will be a challenge at Kentucky. Um, what you look at is a team goes 9-3 and three in the SEC with a tough schedule, 9-3. and three. You could be in the you could be in the playoff conversation. That doesn't mean you're going to make it. I don't think you can assume that always that a nine and three SEC team might beat out a nine and three Big Ten team. I think SEC fans, because SEC fans know they have the best conference, so they think, well, all things equal, the selection committee will pick us. I don't think you can count on that. When you look at the Big Ten East. I can see a lot of times where the Big Ten East could put, I know we're not going to have divisional, but those teams, that group of teams, you think Ohio State, Michigan, and then you think one more, maybe Penn State, uh, maybe even Wisconsin, which always seems to be a wannabe. But I think it will be very challenging, but I do think it will put more pressure on coaches, which is fine by me. They're all making plenty of money, so I won't – I, I won't feel sorry for anybody, but I, I do think making a bowl game always seems like, well, you got to make a bowl game. In Kentucky, for example, let's use Kentucky as an example. Kentucky's made bowl games. Some of those bowls have been uh, achieved through uh, strategic scheduling, uh, non-conference-wise, and it was playing in the SEC East. The SEC is East has gone away. So it's everybody in one big conference. And you also have to consider the Texas-Oklahoma factor. If you looked at the old guard and look at the, the previous league before you expand to 16 teams, then you could say, yeah, Mississippi State would have a much better shot. But I think Oklahoma and Texas, do you think Oklahoma fans should will think that they ever should be out of the playoff? I don't. Probably not, and maybe not Texas fans either, even though that has not really been the reality uh, since Mac Brown was was the coach <laughs> there. But, yeah, I have a little bit of a different take on, on the Oklahoma and Texas factor, John, because I think for some teams, the arrival of Oklahoma and Texas plus the elimination of divisions will make it tougher for their playoff possibilities. I'm thinking about teams in the SEC East. You know, your Missouris, your South Carolinas, your Kentuckys. If the SEC had remained at 14 teams and the division structure had remained in place, I think that increases the chance for, say, 
you know, one of those three teams, Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, to have, you know, a, a very, very good year, maybe get to nine and three, maybe even 10 and two in the right year from the East and be in that playoff conversation. I think the elimination of divisions and the addition of Texas and Oklahoma is going to make it much, much more difficult for those three teams uh, to, to be in playoff contention because they're not going to have what has for the last decade, for the most part, been a cushier schedule in the SEC East. You're not going to have that anymore. The divisions are blown up. They're going to start seeing Alabama every other year. They're going to start seeing LSU every other year, Oklahoma every other year, etc. But I think for a team that has been in the West that we, we typically associate with being in the bottom half of the West, maybe, maybe a team like Mississippi State or let's say a team like Arkansas, I actually think you could make the case that the addition of Oklahoma and Texas plus the elimination of divisions will make it ever so slightly easier for one of those West teams to get in to the conversation of a 12-team playoff. Because, you know, take Mississippi State, for example. As it stands, they're playing Alabama every year. They're playing LSU every year, Auburn every year. Once, once Oklahoma and Texas are in, they're not playing Alabama every year anymore. They're playing them once every two years. They're playing LSU once every two years. And so I think, you know, you can make the case that the schedule actually could lighten up just a bit, not much, but just a bit for some of those West teams who are now going to be playing teams from the East more regularly than they were before. And we'll sort of balance out the schedule a little bit, which I think can help your your Ole Miss, your Mississippi States, and your your Arkansas's of the world. Yeah, I think that that's uh, that's a good idea. I, I think that could work in their favor. Uh, I think of Arkansas is is a team you, you mentioned hasn't wouldn't have qualified in past years. I kind of think of Arkansas in its very best year. I go back to Bobby Petrino in the in the two thousands. He had a team that would have made the playoff. Think it lost only to Alabama and LSU, and they might have met that year in the player in the championship game. Uh, yeah, I, I, so I think there's that possibility, and fans will look at it that way. Um, so much of this, to me, Blake, depends on quarterback play. When you talk about Mississippi State, you mentioned Dak Prescott earlier. One of these schools that we think of as a, a mid-level. If it got a Dak Prescott or a Cam Newton, if there ever would be another Cam Newton, those kind of quarterbacks could transform a program and a team. So I think there's that possibility. And I think, as we've talked before, NIL transfers are going to play a a big role in this. Uh, See, I, I don't think you look at South Carolina's history and you would say South Carolina has no shot. I mean, it's never won the SEC since it's been in it. Uh, even before it was in the SEC, it was a it struggled to make bowl games. It's not a traditionally successful program. But I look at how Shane Beamer's recruiting, um, how South Carolina last year won some big games, how it got Spencer Rattler to transfer from Oklahoma. All those kind of things make me think, well, maybe going forward, South Carolina could be one of those teams in a big year, makes the playoff. So I I really think it, 
it's going to give so much hope to so many fan bases to think, and what you said with Zach Garnett at Mississippi State, he believes, well, we have a chance to make a playoff. And it may be coach speak, but I think fans will uh, will rally around that kind of comment. Yeah, and, and I wonder, John, as some of these teams occasionally maybe make the 12-team playoff, say an Ole Miss you know, gets in once every several years, uh, maybe even a Mississippi State gets in once a – once a decade or once every eight years type of thing. And then you have your other programs like Alabama, LSU, Georgia, of course, and, and then maybe extending out a little bit to Tennessee, Florida, Texas A&M. Maybe they start making the Auburn, you know, could could make the playoff on a more regular basis than than they ever did in the, in the four-team uh, playoff structure. Some of those teams never made it at all in the four-team playoff era. Um, but I wonder, as these programs start to make the playoff either regularly or semi-regularly what will the what will the eight and four season where you're playing in the oh the gator bowl uh or the what do they call it now the realia quest bowl that used to be the outback bowl you know for for certain programs um you know going eight and four and, and playing in one of those bowl games that was that wasn't maybe the uh, the ultimate ceiling, the ultimate goal, but in the right year, that could still be something that was seen as a good season, something that was celebrated a little bit. What what becomes of those types of seasons uh, that end in a Gator Bowl appearance and, a, and an 8-4 record in the 12-team playoff era, do you think? It's not going to, it's not going to have us uh, near the significance uh, that it once did. And I think what could compound that, Blake, would be uh, if some of these teams we talked about, these mid-level teams, if one of them does make the playoff, then what about the other mid-level teams? When they go eight and four and they say, well, Mississippi State or Ole Miss or South Carolina, those programs have made the playoff. Why can't we make the playoff? Kentucky. There's a large patch of those kind of uh, of those teams that are that are not on the top tier, and if just one of them breaks through, then you have, I, I think you're going to have that kind of response. Well, we have as many resources as that school, that program does. Why can't we do it? And you're right, the eight and four uh, Gator Bowl team. <clears throat> excuse me. No, it, it it just won't mean as much as it once did. So as I've said, John, we'll, we'll have 10 years of the four-team playoff uh, once once we get through this year and, and at sunsets. Um, let's say the 12-team playoff lasts for mm, 15 years, let's say, before it's replaced by whatever inevitably comes next, a 24-team playoff, a 64-team playoff, whatever. Let's say that the 12-teamer lasts for 15 years. Adding in Texas and Oklahoma to the to the conversation, so 16 SEC teams, which ones in that 15-year span do you think would not make the playoff one time? Start with Vanderbilt. I feel pretty good about that. Okay. Yeah, I figured that's where the conversation was going to start. Yeah. I, I'm going with, uh, going with Missouri next. I think Missouri will miss the old SEC East. And the Big 12 North. Yeah. Ah, oh, the good old days. I don't think Mississippi State will make it. 
Kentucky. Don't tell Zach Arnett I said I, that though. I won't. Yeah. What about what about Kentucky, John? No. I think Kentucky, those uh well conceived schedules won't occur too often anymore. And it's as though Kentucky I think a tennis a Kentucky is a maybe or when you look at a nine and three season, that's achievable for Kentucky. But I think it will be have to be with uh, a lot of good fortune. I think nine and three will will become harder for Kentucky in this new alignment. I think I look at Kentucky as what you just as you described earlier, an eight and four Gator Bowl team. So I've let's see Missouri, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, Kentucky. I'd say the next two, if we're kind of looking at maybe maybe history as a guide, the next two maybe to enter the conversation would be probably South Carolina, uh, Arkansas, and maybe I would throw in Ole Miss to that group of teams as as well. Do you think all three of those teams could make the playoff in a 15-year span? No, not all three of them. I, I think one of those three could, and I don't know which one it would be. Will Lane Kiffin be at Ole Miss in fifteen years? <laughs> will be? Will he be at Ole, at Ole Miss in fifteen months? What? What? Uh, Arkansas to me, Arkansas should be. That's a program I think of as being better. But to, when you talk about its track record, it it really hadn't been. Um. And then all the enthusiasm accompanying Sam Pittman's success. Remember, part of that uh, enthusiasm and optimism stemmed from how bleak things were before he arrived. In South Carolina, although Shane Beamer is doing better than I thought he would, you can't ignore that history. You really can't. I mean, that's a long run. Uh so probably let's see. We've got one, two, three, four. We've got seven teams. We're not sure if any of the, or are we really sure that any of those teams will be in the playoff in fifteen years? Make oh, it I, th- I, th- I think so. If I were to, see if you know, take the field, I would I would take at least one or two of those seven to make the playoffs at least one time in a fifteen year span. Now, which which couple teams that would which, be may be harder to pick. I mean, with Ole Miss, you just have to go back two seasons to the Sugar Bowl year with Matt Corral at quarterback. Uh, Ole Miss was was 10-2 and two entering the Sugar Bowl, which they lost to Baylor. Uh, but going into the postseason, they were 10-2 and two and, um, and would have been slam dunk a playoff team that year. Uh, so I think, I think Ole Miss could, could get into a, a 12-team playoff. Um, and, and then, I mean, I, I think Vanderbilt and Kentucky – are the two for me that uh, I would feel most confident in saying they're not making a 12-team playoff. Now, Kentucky's had some teams that would have been in contention in the past decade, but again, they benefited from being in the SEC East and playing perennially one of the softer schedules in the conference. They're not going to have that benefit anymore in a divisionless structure. So I would start the conversation with them and then I think I would probably move up to some order of Missouri and South Carolina 
And that kind of goes back to, I just think it's going to be much, much more difficult for these teams that are going from the East into a unified 16 team conference. And, you know, they're having to play Alabama once every two years, LSU once every two years, Auburn once every two years. I think that's going to make it, you know, more challenging for a program like a Missouri or South Carolina that's had some good seasons in the East. They've played in the SEC. Each of those programs has played in the SEC championship game. Um, you know, South Carolina did it with Steve Spurrier. Missouri did it in back-to-back years, uh, years two and three in the conference. Did not win the conference championship, but they won the East. But I think it's going to be much more difficult for those teams outside the division structure. And so I guess I like the West teams best to be, you know, in that once every 10 or 15 years at a minimum can make the playoff, the Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Mississippi States, those would be the ones that I feel most confident in um, could have a shot in a, in a good year to make the playoff. Yeah, excuse me. I look at the the old SEC East and see my three least likely teams to make a, make a playoff, of course, leads with Vanderbilt, and then I would go with Missouri and then Kentucky. So to your point, yeah, it, the SEC West, the old SEC West, those teams have a better chance. Let's look at it another way, Blake. Of the teams that we didn't mention, teams that we assume will be able to make the playoff, if you had to pick one that wouldn't make the playoff in a 15, in 15 years, is it possible one of those remaining teams won't make the playoff in 15 years? It, it's certainly possible. Uh, you look at the dark stretch that Tennessee had um, really for almost 15 years. And, and I think you could certainly see where it would be, where it would be possible. You know, and then things are brightening now with, with Josh Heupel, but it wasn't so long ago that I think you, we could have cackled at the idea of Tennessee <laughs> making a, a 12 team <laughs> playoff. I, I also think John, I, I don't know the direction of Auburn's program. You look at the last five years, Auburn's 34, and 28. That's their record the last five years. Pretty Midland. Um, now, Brian Harson, my man, Brian Harson had a hand in that the last two years. Um, but if the SEC does ever stop kicking the can down the road and approve a nine-game schedule with three rivals per team, I believe that would mean Auburn is the only team in the conference that would have to play Alabama and Georgia every year. Currently, Tennessee has to play Alabama and Georgia every year, but I think Georgia would not be among Tennessee's three rivals in a nine-game schedule. They'd continue to have to play Alabama every year, but not Georgia. And so I think that's going to remain tough on Auburn. The schedule's always tough on Auburn, having to play Alabama and Georgia every year and being in the SEC West. They'll get a maybe a little bit of a break by the elimination of the West and divisions going away, but still having Alabama and Georgia on there every year, LSU with Brian Kelly, um, you know they've they've got it rolling. Uh, you're going to have to start seeing Tennessee once every two years. They seem to be moving in a positive direction. You got Texas and Oklahoma coming in. You'd have to see each of those once every two years. I think Auburn is. I think I, certainly in a 15-year span, I would take Auburn to make the playoffs a couple times maybe, but I, th- I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult 
for Auburn than, than what their fan base may want to acknowledge. And, and that what, um, you know, much more difficult than it looked with Cam Newton at quarterback or um, the 12 and two season with, with Gus Malzahn. It's, it's kind of like you said earlier, you get the right quarterback with the right program. They could win the whole kit and caboodle, but on an average season is Auburn in the playoffs at a 12 team playoff. I, I say no. Yeah, so much of it when you when you make it fifteen years, uh, you're talking about all new coaches, pretty much. I mean, when, yeah, when we go to the fifteenth right. year, uh, we don't see that kind of longevity for any anybody. I don't think Kirby Smart will be at Georgia in fifteen years. So, two things are, are really big factors in this. First of all, the coach, and then as you mentioned, the quarterback. You got to have a great quarterback. Or a really good one, not a great one, maybe, but a really good one. Uh, but I think the coaching possibilities. I like the way things look for a lot of these schools right now in terms of coaching. We, uh, of course, Alabama and Georgia, LSU, Tennessee with Josh Heupel. Tennessee isn't uh, the Tennessee of old with Butch Jones, Derek Dooley. Uh, oh, almost forgot Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, some fans would like to forget him. Uh, yeah, it, it's a different program now. And I look at Tennessee as a program that should compete for the playoff routinely. Um, and I, I really like what Brian Kelly's doing at LSU. We just don't know how these other how these other uh, schools will do in terms of high, hiring coaches. And I think another factor in this is, I don't think coaches are going to have very long leashes. These programs will be bringing in more money. The expectations will be higher and the 12 team playoff makes expectations higher as well. So I don't think, I think schools will be less patient than they are now with coaches. We saw what happened with, with Auburn and Brian Harson. Well, if Hugh freeze doesn't get it done after a few years, he'll probably be, uh, following in uh, Brian Harson's footsteps. I thought Hugh Freeze was a really good hire at Auburn uh, and certainly a, a significant upgrade. Um, but he, he's going to have to recruit well. So we'll we'll see on that. But I, I agree with you. Auburn is kind of, we just don't know. Look how quickly Tennessee turned it around. Perhaps Auburn could do the same thing. It will be challenging for everybody. Final thought on, on the playoff, John, before we, we move along to the recruitment of, of Austin Simmons, the quarterback who uh, who flipped to Ole Miss after he was previously committed to Florida. Uh, but final thought on the playoff. Kirby Smart raised what I thought was an interesting observation at the SEC spring meetings, and it was kind of lost amid all the eight-game eight conference schedule versus nine-game conference schedule, what have you. Kirby kind of pointed out that in some situations, being the SEC runner-up in a 12-team playoff could really backfire. Um, and, and I'm paraphrasing his remarks here. But sort of the observation was this. If we believe the SEC is going to get three to four teams in most years in a 12-team playoff, which I think is fair, I, I think it'll be a rare year where the SEC gets fewer than three teams in the playoff, in some ways, it could kind of be a pitfall to reach the SEC championship game as a second-place team, get clobbered 
by, say, undefeated Georgia or undefeated Alabama. Now, you would still, I think if you're the SEC's runner-up, make the playoff. I think you're safe there. However, you would have one week fewer rest, one, one fewer week rest than the third place team in the SEC that is also conceivably going to the playoffs. You would have just played um, a pretty physical SEC championship game, and then two weeks later, you're playing a first-round playoff game where that third-place team in the SEC was sitting at home resting up for an additional week. And there's no guarantee that just because you played in Atlanta in the SEC championship, there's no guarantee that playoff selection committee, after seeing you uh, taking one to the nose in the SEC championship game, you might slide below the third-place SEC team in seeding. All of a sudden, that third-place team might be hosting a first-round playoff game, and and this runner-up that lost in Atlanta, they might fall to say the eight, or, or excuse me, the nine or ten seed line, and and they're on the road in round one. Do you think this concern has some some merit? And Kirby wasn't really complaining; he was just pointing out an observation um, that I thought was one that no one had really been talking about. I thought it was a fair point, but uh, do you think maybe he's overthinking this uh, a little bit, or could we see some scenarios where? whatever the team is that loses in Atlanta, it may actually be a tougher road for them than the team that finishes third in the SEC. Kirby has a different perspective on this than most people, I think, because he's the guy that running the program that everybody fears right now. He's the big, bad bully. So he's looking at, he goes back and he looks at what Georgia did to LSU in the SEC championship game. Uh, more significantly, look what Georgia did to TCU. I, I mean, he looked like TCU looked like so it should have disbanded its program before it played that game. And it was coming off he, one of the biggest wins in the school history, beating Michigan. And then the image of that, I, I think his point is it's how you play in that game. If it's a competitive game, you're fine. But we know how games can go off the rails sometimes, and one team is hot, the other team isn't, and one team is just really dominant, everything falls its way, and you get this one-sided one-sided game, and I think that image really sticks with people, and it will stick with the people on the selection committee. So I, I give credence to what he's saying, that – I mean, if you lose that game 65 to 7, you got problems with the uh, selection committee. Yeah, and it's not really that difficult to think up a scenario. Um, you know, what I had in mind is, let's say there's a year where, where Georgia's 12-0, and 0, and they're playing 10-2 and 2 Oklahoma in the SEC championship. Let's say Alabama is also 10-2, and 2, but Alabama and Oklahoma did not play in that particular season. That's the off year for them. They'd play in the following season. And they went through the tiebreaker scenarios, which I think we'll probably all need advanced degrees to figure out how some of these tiebreakers work. But they went through the tiebreaker scenarios and Oklahoma earned that second spot in Atlanta opposite Georgia. And then Georgia comes out and they beat Oklahoma by 24 points in the SEC championship. It's really not very difficult to conceive then the playoff selection committee saying, well, you had your shot, Oklahoma, and you just got um, clobbered by Georgia 
Uh, you're still going to make the playoffs at 10 and three. Sure. We're not knocking you out of the playoffs, but Alabama, they're, they're the ones that are sliding up on the seed line by sitting at home and Oklahoma, you're falling down to an 11 seed and you're going on the road in, in round one of the playoffs. I mean, you, you can see scenarios like this pretty reasonably, I think, playing out. I think that's very plausible. You, you mentioned something I hadn't even thought of, and I think it could be very intriguing. Tiebreakers. I mean, could we actually come down to uh, average margin of victory? You know, I haven't really even I, – I, I just – I know head-to-head, if it's a head-to-head scenario, sure. then, then it's easy to figure out. But we are going to get in these seasons where, you know, you got two teams with the same conference record. You can only take one to the championship of the two. They didn't play head-to-head. I, I don't – I'll admit, John, I've not dug into the tiebreaker rules and, and gone <laughs> very far down the list and, and to determine how they're going to figure this out. Well, I, I was. I think what they'll probably do, what they've done in the past, is they'll go your record against the, from top to bottom, how you did it against the number one team, number two. But I mean, that could still be that could still be deadlocked. I mean, that's very possible. But I think if you, I don't know, I find it very interesting to think of what if you went down to margin of victory. <laughs> haven't haven't helped the weakest of teams in this conference, if you went to margin of victory, can you imagine? I, I mean, we saw last year as great a George as Georgia was last year. And that really was a great team. Uh, if Georgia had gone out and played, was playing Vanderbilt, talking about the old SEC East or, or any, or anybody really as good as that Georgia team was. And it's got the motivation. Hey, we, we can't just win this game. We, we've got to vanquish this opponent. <laughs> I mean, this opponent should completely destroy its will in the first quarter and then just start piling on the points. I don't think Missouri would have threatened Georgia in that situation last season. Georgia beat Vanderbilt 55 nothing last year, John. What, what would the score have been uh, had there been a margin of victory tiebreaker maybe enter the equation for an SEC championship bid? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to get more, much worse than 55 nothing in no, a conference No, but game. I, I think, let's face it, we saw what Georgia did to TCU. I mean, sure. 80 points is not not out of the conversation. Georgia playing Vanderbilt in an 80 to nothing game, that's, that's not inconceivable. Um, I, I think what it could come down to also is the, the coaching uh, thought process on this. You don't go. You don't want to risk injury. Got to get our starters out of there. We've got a, we've got a forty-five to ten lead going into the first fourth quarter. No point in playing our quarterback. But what if margin of victory were a factor? Well, and I don't even think so much about the tiebreaker for the SEC championship, John, with margin of victory. I, I think more about like the playoff. You know, there's going to be six at-large selections for that twelve-team playoff, and if you think it's going to be you or a a big 10 team with the same record and it's going to be one of one of two of you are getting in and the other one's being left out. Yeah. You're trying to pile on the points throughout the month of November and the old style points that they used to call it back in the BCS era. You know, you had it not only had to win, you had to win with some style points. Uh, those style points are, are going to come back around, I think in this and, uh, and 12 teamer. I, I know Blake in, in, in today's world, I think it's maybe politically 
correct incorrect to beat somebody by 80 points and the selection committee members will say no we don't really consider if somebody wins by four touchdowns or seven touchdowns they may say no we don't really think about that that's not a factor it was a convincing win i don't know about that i don't know that i believe that because that 80 to nothing victory just creates an image that this team is pretty much invincible and once it gets rolling uh, the opponent isn't, no matter who it is, is in really bad shape. I think it, uh, I think it should create interest. I think, I don't know. I'd kind of like, I kind of would like that. I, <laughs> I would like the idea of somebody having to go because think of all, uh, okay, we've got the point spread and a lot of people are betting now more than ever are betting. So that means a lot in the fourth quarter, the game might be decided, but you're thinking, you know, you're still trying to win your bet. You're you're 41 point favorite. You got to get win by 42. Well, now add out of this, you know, coaches say we don't care about the point spread, but you do care about seeding in the playoff. And so, if you can tack on that extra score, why not do it? Why not? Why not throw on third and one with 10 seconds to play? Well, and I don't even know if coaches can say they don't care about the point spread anymore. I mean, even even Nick Saban is is talking about point spreads these days and, and projected point spreads of, of mythical playoff matchups. So it seems like those point spreads have even permeating permeated the uh, the coaching culture. Let's get into the, the situation uh, at Florida, John, because some some quarterback news this week will affect multiple teams in this conference. Um, Austin Simmons was a, was a four-star quarterback committed in the 2025 class to Florida. However, Austin Simmons is homeschooled and had been like sort of the worst kept secret in, in recruiting circles for some time now that Austin Simmons was likely to reclassify and reclassify all the way up to this season and potentially join that quarterback competition at Florida that is headlined as much as it can be headlined uh, by Graham Mertz and Florida had, you know, struck out in some other places and adding transfer quarterbacks uh, added Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. But you know, I think Florida had ideally hoped for someone for, for another quarterback in the transfer portal, didn't get another one. And so, you know, I think there was the thought that maybe Austin Simmons would be able to reclassify join Florida for this year. Well, he is reclassifying. But instead, he's joining Ole Miss, an Ole Miss quarterback room that now includes Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, Walker Howard, and uh, now the uh, the 17-year-old Austin Simmons, who you know is probably not going to win that job at Ole Miss this year, you wouldn't think. But with as bleak as Florida's quarterback room is, might have been in contention at Florida. So that's sort of the glass, I'm not even going to say half-empty, look at Florida. I'm going to say three quarters empty look at Florida, particularly after they lost out on Jaden Rashada, uh, the blue chip quarterback back in the winter who uh, pulled away from Florida and, and signed with Arizona State instead. That's the pessimistic view. The optimistic view for Florida, John, is other than this development with Austin Simmons, Billy Napier's killing it on the recruiting trail. You look at Florida's 2024 recruiting class right now, it's ranked number three nationally. He just It's like he's adding a four-star commitment per day 
Um, he's also got a couple five-star guys in this 2024 class, including a quarterback. E.J. Lagway from Texas is, is one of the top quarterbacks in the 2024 class. He's a national top 25 recruit, you know, big guy, 6'2", 225. And so I think your view of, of, of the direction of Florida under Billy Napier is kind of how you look at it. I mean, if you look at the last six months and, and the quarterback situation at Florida, it's a mess. If you can try to take the long-term view of things and look at the way they're recruiting for 2024, it looks a lot brighter. So what's your perspective on, on sort of how things stand with Florida and Billy Napier entering his second season? I think it's pretty iffy right now because I look at what Florida has coming back uh, and what its schedule looks like in, in 23 this season. Then I look ahead to what it is, what its schedule will be in 24. We've seen that unveiling. I mean, I, I see the potential for three consecutive losing seasons. And I don't think you can survive that at Florida. I don't see how you can. Now, his recruiting is his recruiting gives hope and it gives uh, great optimism. Maybe all these guys need to reclassify right now. Uh, I mean, immediately. Get them all join, on the roster this year. Yeah. Yeah. Join join the off-season conditioning program tomorrow. No, I think it's we put a lot and fans put a lot of stock. Everybody puts so much stock in recruiting. So that's certainly in Billy Napier's favor. You said he's killing it. But is he killing it fast enough? Because what could happen, even though he's recruiting really well, people could say, well, he can recruit well but he can't get it done on the field. There've been other coaches that, uh, well, Ron Zook comes to mind. Ron Zook's recruiting uh, way back when in the early 2000s laid the foundation for Urban Meyer's first national championship team at Florida. He won another one two years later, but the 06 team was laden with Ron Zook recruits. Zook did a great job of recruiting. Now Billy Napier's doing the same thing. But if he does, no matter how well he recruits, if you don't see the results in the in the one loss record, people will raise the question, well, he's a really good recruiter. And then they say, well, who can't recruit well at Florida? I don't know. It's almost like Billy Napier, if he could hit the fast forward button to say the year 2025 and this <laughs> recruiting class that he's got that's currently ranked number three in the nation, we'll see where it finishes. Um, you know, the early recruiting rankings don't always hold. But it's, I mean, he's got good players in this class. It's not just that, you know, he's got a couple guys in the boat and nobody else has anybody committed yet. Like he's, you know, Florida's got plenty of five and four and five star guys committed to this 2024 class. It's like he just needs to get to 2025. Those guys would all be sophomores. Uh, he gets, you know, he's got a quarterback by then. Maybe it's DJ Lagway. Maybe it's somebody else. But you don't get to do that in the SEC. You don't get to just, um, you know, kind of, stumble your way through two and three seasons and say by year four um, I'm going to have all my groundwork in place I'm going to have all my recruits in place by year four we're gonna we're, we're ready to take off doesn't work like that in in this conference you you really need to start to show some progress in year two and I think to your point when you look at the schedule this year it's going to be hard at least record wise I think for for Florida to show much progress this year and even 2024, I think it's going to be difficult um, with the shape of the 
the program. It's like he really needs to hit it on both ends and not only do what he's doing in this 2024 recruiting class, but get some more transfer help in here as well at Florida. And and that's the area that I think is, is really kind of holding Florida back, at least in the interim, to be able to at least put out a, a serviceable enough product that you can get to this 2025 season that we're talking about a couple years down the road. Well, as you, as you first presented this dilemma, um, Ole Miss is stockpiling quarterbacks. I'm not sure how Lane Kiffin is doing it, but everybody see, uh, suddenly wants to go uh, to Ole Miss and play quarterback. Look at all those quarterbacks. He, ha- I, mean, I would rather have those guys at, at Ole Miss than what Billy Napier will have uh, this season with Graham Mertz at quarterback. I'd rather have any one of those those top three guys at Ole Miss. And now he's adding a fourth. You've got the importance of having a quarterback, and, and you mentioned Lagway in seasons to come. But b- you're really you're really accurate there in pointing out the transfer thing. If Billy Napier was augmenting these rec- this 24 recruiting class, if he'd landed a couple of big-name transfers, not Graham Mertz, if he'd have done what Lane Kiffin has done and, and what he has done in the past, then you would say Billy Napier's going to be fine at Florida. I, I just think it's going to – we've seen the impatience of – We've seen the impatience there, and you've got to do both things. you got to develop, and you got to recruit. Dan Mullen, just the opposite. Everybody knew uh, Dan Mullen could coach, but he didn't recruit well enough at Florida. And so you have to do both. And maybe you can have the co-head coach situation at Florida. Bring Mullen back uh, to be on the on the sidelines on game day, and and let let Napier handle the handle the recruiting front. You might have a, yeah. a real two headed monster at, at that point. Yeah, Molly. Hey, hey, Billy. Great job, great job recruiting. I'll I'll take it from here. Okay, <laughs> you got Saturday off. I'll handle it from here. Yeah, Mullen takes uh, Sunday through Friday off, and she shows up shows up on Saturday. <laughs> When you look at the Ole Miss quarterback room, John, it's I think it's still Jackson Dart at, at the start. I think when Spencer Sanders, um, you know, announced he was transferring it to Ole Miss, there was a thought that he would would win the starting job. But reading the tea leaves there at Ole Miss, I think Jackson Dart remains the man to beat. And of course, Spencer Sanders is coming off that injury at Oklahoma State. I think that has something to do with it as well. But you got Dart, you got Spencer Sanders, who started for what seemed like a million years at Oklahoma State. You have uh, the once Bollywood LSU recruit and Walker Howard, and then now the four-star 17-year-old and, and reclassifying Austin Simmons. I've seen some people make the case that Ole Miss either has the number one or number two quarterback room in the conference, John. LSU often enters that conversation, too, with uh, Jaden Daniels and, and Garrett Nussmeyer. Uh, atop their quarterback depth chart. And I might buy that argument for Ole Miss that top to bottom, they could have a top two or three quarterback room in the SEC. I'm wondering how much that matters because you only get to play one at a time. And, you know, let's say you're a team that maybe is a little thin on quarterback depth, but you navigate the season without injury and you got a stud at the top of your depth chart. 
you know, who you got on the fourth string doesn't matter so much. It's not like the offensive line where you got to play five of these guys. It's not like, uh, you know, your defensive secondary where you need, you know, six, seven DBs to get through a Saturday. So how much does it matter, do you think, that that Ole Miss has what many believe, and I think fairly believe, top to bottom, a top two or three quarterback depth chart in, in the SEC? I think I'd rather have some of that depth at right guard in the offensive line. I, I don't – you're right. I, does Ole Miss have a top four quarterback in the SEC? I don't think so. I don't know that they do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we saw what Jackson Dart could do. He's 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 an up-and-down kind of guy. He can give you some highlights. But can he do it consistently Saturday after Saturday? If he could, I don't think Spencer Sanders would be there. I don't think Walker Howard would be there either. I, I just think Ole Miss might have some pretty good, pretty good quarterbacks at best, and it might have potential at quarterback. But I, w- I thought Spencer Sanders was a really good acquisition, and now I'm thinking, well, maybe not. Maybe his body's just, he's taken too many hits there at Oklahoma State. He took a lot of them. He's a gamer. He plays hard, and he won some big games. But I'm 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 no longer so enamored with him when I first heard the news. You know, you when you hear one of these guys transfer and you hear first hear it, he said, "Oh, that's a that that could be a big deal," and then you start to look at it a little, a little more closely, and you wonder, "Well, I don't know." And and you summed it up when you say, "Well, Jackson Dart still might be the best option." Then what is Ole Miss accomplished? Now, maybe you can look on down the line and say Walker Howard would be the guy. But right now, you can't – talking about 23, you can't say that. Yeah, it, I think that's that's fair. And, and where Dart ranks in the pecking order, it's, it's debatable. Some people would probably have him in the top four of their quarterbacks. But you have Jaden Daniels. You have K.J. Jefferson at Arkansas. You have Spencer Rattler. Um, at South Carolina, there would be other people that would would rather have those three. You got Will Rogers, who you know has been a stat stuffer at Mississippi State. Mississippi State won the Egg Bowl last year. Now it was in large part thanks to their their defense. And you have Devin Leary at Kentucky, the transfer who had a phenomenal 2021 season um, at uh, at NC State. And Joe Milton's coming off an MVP performance in the Orange Bowl. So it does sort of kind of get crowded in that quarterback conversation top to bottom in this conference, particularly like in the three through eight range, um, I think. But there's no doubt that Ole Miss's quarterback depth is much superior to what it was a year ago. A year ago, you had Jackson Dart and then kind of a drop-off to Luke Altmaier. They are pretty well stocked, and depending on how injuries go, they'll be very thankful they are stocked that way. But some of these these players, you know, talking about Walker Howard and Austin Simmons, you know, ideally they're more your quarterback for the future and not guys that uh, you may want out there in the fourth quarter against Alabama this year. But I think Jackson Dart, the the two quarterbacks in Mississippi, John, Jackson Dart and Will Rogers are two of the quarterbacks I'm most interested in monitoring this year because Dart, you know, we saw him flash some moments in year one at Ole Miss, but he, he didn't put it together with with consistency. He's a good runner uh, as well. Um, but we saw Matt Corral take off from year one to year two 
of being a starter in Lane Kiffin's system? Can Jackson Dart show the same development? And then with Will Rogers at Mississippi State, you know, as far as stat stuffing goes, few have done it better the past three years as, as Will Rogers, but they are changing systems. Um, still will have some air raid concepts, but it's not going to be the true air raid, you know, and in, in moving on in that program. So I'm, I'm pretty interested as far as quarterbacks go and uh, in, in both those guys on, on either side of the, the Egg Bowl rivalry. I think they will be two of the more interesting quarterbacks in the conference. They're guys you're familiar with, but what is their ceiling um, you know, for Rodgers in a new system and for Dart in, in year two under Lane Kiffin. Yeah, I kind of, when I look at quarterback and quarterback depth, I don't really look beyond, and maybe I should, you want to have a third guy. You could get two quarterbacks hurt. There's no doubt about that. But when I evaluate quarterbacks, a team like LSU that has two quarterbacks, I think are, are really good. That's the kind of depth I like to see at quarterback. Number one guy goes down, you got a big time player at number two. And I think I think LSU has that. I think Nussmeyer would be starting in a lot of schools. Um and he certainly he certainly performed well when thrust into a, a starting role. So yeah, I just I, I am intrigued though. Lane Kiffin has this great reputation for developing quarterbacks and it it's justified. I, I would kind of wouldn't you kind of like to sit in on on a conversation between Lane Kiffin and a prospective transfer on how they just are drawn to come play at Ole Miss. I I find it fascinating that that many quarterbacks would come there and and transfer there. Everybody assumed, John, that Texas A&M was going to be the NIL machine. Maybe we all had it wrong, and uh, maybe the NIL machine uh, resides at the Grove. I don't know. They're they're doing it somehow. They they got four – uh, four deep there at quarterbacks where a lot of programs are, are struggling to get two or two or three deep. But uh, we'll leave it there for now, and we'll see uh, what other quarterback has joined the competition at, at Ole Miss next week. Uh, thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.